You are listening to the Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Blake Butler, so happy to see you. Thank you for coming on the Hemp Startup Journey podcast. How are you today? I am great, and thanks so much for having me back. I must have done a good job last time. To you ask did. That. You killed it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, looking forward to talking with you. Some really cool topics about some things that you're you're working on, um, and uh, we'll we'll talk about basically the transition that you're making with your association. Uh, but just to give context to people, uh, for some of the, the the two people probably that haven't heard about NTIHA, uh, can you talk about? what it is and why that got started. Just sort of the inception and then we'll move forward from there. Absolutely. Um, we have an attorney here in North Carolina, Bob Crumley, uh, that really pushed the envelope uh, and helped write that legislation that became our pilot program um, and mirrored Kentucky and Colorado, what some of the other states were doing. But to make that happen, he formed a trade association called the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association. And that really became the lobbying arm and the organization that pushed for the pilot program, got it in place, and that's where we really got our start. And we're a 501c6 trade organization, a designation of the nonprofit. But we really try to represent everyone in the supply chain, from the grower, the retailer, the processor, as well as those folks that have come in from different professional acumens and have joined our association and given it a lot more credibility. But right now, the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association has about 700 members from eight different states. So we do see a lot of synergy, a lot of collaboration happening within North Carolina and beyond. And so we also were responsible for fighting that smokable hemp ban last year, which was a huge undertaking, but we learned a lot about legislators. We made friends with a lot of our legislators, which is great as we go back into the next session next year. But we also learned that we have to do more work with law enforcement and that they have not been properly trained as far as what our program is about. So when we expect them to know everything and what we're doing on the cultivation end and the testing and the processing end, we just have to remember that we also have a responsibility to educate. So that's what our association is trying to do differently, is just communicate up front with law enforcement and legislators and not get put in a position where all of a sudden we're going down the rabbit hole because of a certain narrative that just becomes made up and just spreads across our state. So, but as you know from being in the hemp industry, Jason, every day, every week is a challenge. So as it's been declared a new agricultural commodity, we're just really working hard to make it so. Yeah, and I want to talk about that uh, in a little bit. But uh, so you talk about um, how it got started, um, some of the reasons. I know you, you've mentioned this often that uh, the network of the association is one of the, its biggest strengths. And so 700 members, that's a really big benefit to be a part of. Uh, so I would certainly encourage people to, to at least consider it if they're not part of it. Uh, but then you're expanding now. So uh, can you talk about that, what that means, uh, the, the new name, uh, of course, that would be important. So let's talk about the future. 
Absolutely. About nine months ago, we started talking about, should we take industrial out of our name, first of all, and just rebrand as the North Carolina Hemp Association. But after the Industrial Hemp Summit in Danville, Virginia, and having so many folks come up to myself and our board chair, Marty Clemens, we realized that there was states throughout the Southeast that wanted to build a new sort of coalition, a new sort of energy around this opportunity. And looking at our membership and what I do on a daily basis, I was already dealing with South Carolina being under and getting ready to be under full USDA, Tennessee, and Virginia, because we have over 30 members that have retail locations down there or some sort of expanded operations up there. But what we don't have is someone boots on the ground that can be our liaison so we can really get a read on how we can be effective for all our members state by state. So we started a conversation of should we rebrand and rename this association as the Southeast Hemp Association? And should we recognize that North Carolina has an important historical role in this transition if we look back tobacco and textiles. We were right there as partners with Virginia and the tobacco industry and partners with South Carolina and others in the textile belt. We can do this again, but someone, and it's gonna have to be an association, needs to start diversifying on the plant. Start to explore the other 99,000 uses. So that's our second reason that we're gonna go through this transition and our name change. We wanna lead that in North Carolina in cooperation with other states. And we have NC State as an incredible asset that knows textiles, engineering. And we've been talking for years about how can we get our farmers in the Eastern part of the state to start looking towards growing fiber, even though it's not gonna be as lucrative is growing for CBD. But what we really found, Jason, is last year, there's not a lot of people in our state and surrounding states that made a lot of money off of CBD and CBD grows. So as we were trying to track that revenue, we know like other states and like the USDA also knows, it's time to diversify on the plant. It's a long game. It's three to five to seven years. But that's our second reason we're going to transition first to take care of our existing members to find more opportunities across state borders. We look at hemp as a bioregion, agricultural commodity. And second, and most importantly, to build a better network. We don't want to build more hierarchy. We want to build better communications across those borders so we can get some consistency. For example, we talked about smokable hemp earlier. If I could see something consistent happen in our Southeast states for smokable hemp, and you probably saw a judge just overturn the ban in Texas, and so smokable hemp is back on the shelves in Texas, which is a good thing, because as long as it's 0.3% THC or less, it's an agricultural commodity, it's compliant. So it needs to remain on the shelves. But if I look at smokable hemp, if we truly went to law enforcement in each state legislature and said, look, our retailers are going to graduate up to compliant packaging, where smokable hemp products are sealed, whether it's glue sealed, heat sealed, and also traceability. So you can zap that code and figure out 
with a series of COAs that could not be edited if that is a compliant product from when it was planted to the time it made its system or through the supply chain and ended up as a product. That's important. Those two things are important. But the third thing that we got a little bit of um, pushback from and then some praise from is an open container law. Because one of the things you'll see from law enforcement is they're losing probable cause with smokable hemp in their opinion in certain places because it looks the same and smells the same. So instead of battling them forever and knowing that there's plenty of people in the community that want recreational marijuana legal, let's embrace what would happen in that transition. And that's an open container law that would be in place in our state if it was sold through a state dispensary. But that's also somewhere that we need to head to as association members. We do. Are, are, you, saying that, that direction. are you saying that uh, members or, or just maybe community members are giving you pushback about uh, implementing or, or helping to implement an open container law? No, there was just some down in the legislature when we brought okay. it up that kind of raised their eyebrows. Members and themselves and, and our retailers want to do everything they can, Jason, so they no longer have to not be harassed by law enforcement, but just sure. go through frustrations and problems with law enforcement. Because once again, they haven't been properly educated in a lot of places around the state. And our association and, and others, we have a responsibility to do that, to do more videos, explain to law enforcement, here's our current pilot program, here's what a COA means, here's 0.3% uh, THC or less, what that means. And I, Again, it's just for a lot. I just don't think people have presented that information to them properly. Sure. And I see that void in the learning. But the open container law, again, it's just an idea of how do we get to a consistent, you know, way to go state by state and says, this is what we're doing for all smokable hemp products. And the vision is, is to one day they could have that stamp of the Southeast Hemp Association, that stamp of the USDA or whatever it is with that state to say this is a safe product for consumption. It's that's gone awesome. through the system. Yeah. I like that. I like that picture that you're painting. Um, on the, the point before that, on the traceability, uh, curious if you can talk a little bit more about that because that's something that I've been interested in for a while. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I've talked to people all the time and um, not the majority, there, there's a certain minority that I've seen uh, it's sort of fudged uh, lab reports and, and it's unfortunate right like it gives mm -hmm. all of us a bad name so do you is there a solution or do you have a, a picture in your mind of how that would work so that if I as a consumer look at a lab of some sort that I would know like okay this is legit and for, for these reasons I, I can trust it can, can you talk about that absolutely we have a member right now that's working on a piece of back-end software that really locks coas in through blockchain mm -hmm. and i think that's the way to approach it uh, jason from a state perspective to develop a system where coas cannot be edited and other coas cannot replace those that are part of this blockchain coa acceptance and i think that's real important I really do. It's done in other agricultural commodities. That system of inspections as it makes its way up. But somewhere, we have to start those best practices. And so I like what he's doing with this technology. I would really love to present it to the state one day and say, hey, this is another way. And I know our state lab and others would embrace it too. What they hate to see happen is, you know, they have produced a great COA and then someone comes in, like you said, with a fake COA 
and uses it for other purposes. I had a member one day that, and this is kind of a funny story, sent me a COA from Humboldt County Lab for measuring his hemp. And he says, have you ever heard of these guys? And I said, I haven't, but can you not get a lab here in North Carolina? And he says, I don't know, I like their results better. That right there is a problem. It's not about liking their results better. Again, the ultimate goal is to make everything we do safe for consumption or to rub on your skin, whatever it is, safe for the consumer. That's what we need, folks. We need that consumer demand, but we've got to get that loyalty. We've got to do that proper education. So that demand is there. Like I've told so many people in the last couple of weeks, our products should be on the front line right now during a pandemic to help folks find natural relief for everything they're going through every day. I use CBD every single day, an extract in the morning and in the evening, and it helps me like so many other people. So I suggest people try it, but going backwards a step, it's important, like you said, that all the products out there people can trust, and that starts with that certificate of analysis, that COA that says this product is safe from seed to sale. Yeah, because I think at West, there are a couple of companies that are working on uh, some similar software, but for uh, marijuana, you know, THC-related products, since compliance is more uh, mandated, right, as opposed to wow. here on the East Coast for, for non-legal states. Uh, so that's really interesting. Um, I'm sure there's you know, some sort of expense to that, but I think overall it seems like a good investment. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because if, if for everybody in the supply chain, right, from the farmer to the processor to maybe the retailer, distributors, and then at the end of the day, the consumer can say, okay, well, I know that it started here and it went there and here and now I have it in my hands and I can trust it and there's no, uh, nobody's fudging anything, you know, nobody's messing it up. That's really I think that's what we want. If we get to that point, we will end up in more grocery stores. Yeah, we'll end up in a lot of those stores that we've been talking to them for six months, a year, that our products are safe. We need that credibility, that com- collaborative credibility together and that professionalism to make that happen. Yeah. So then, all right, going back to uh, Southeastern Hemp Association. Uh, it's so the Southeast Hemp Association. Southeast. Thank you. So uh, going from North Carolina. Uh, you have 700 members. And so then what, what are the states again that you're going to be expanding into regionally? Well, like I said, we have members from eight states already. So okay. even though we say the Southeast Hemp Association, that is really from Virginia down to Florida, okay. including Kentucky and Tennessee. But again, we want to enter this in a very collaborative spirit. There's other hemp organizations out there that serve a valuable role I know that Kentucky and Tennessee has two strong state HIA chapters. So just figuring out how to all work together, it's what's so important. And I think more than anything, after the dust settles from this great pause, all being on the same page is going to be especially important as we reapproach the USDA, depending on what the state of affairs there are, and really try to get the FDA to recognize that we are trying as hard as we can to, you know, come forward with a new kind of argument that our products should at least be considered under a research umbrella and others. It just, it's amazing to me, Jason, that we still don't have enough universities and others doing research on CBD because we know what they would find, that they would find nine out of 10 times, in my opinion, that it's very valuable 
and it can help protect that immune system and other things, but we cannot make any claims, as you know, but having some research from accredited universities, I think would, would help us all as we, you know, try to do a better job of communicating with the FDA. And I'm a little nervous right now about what they're going to come out with, with some of their meetings with the White House and others. I, I am, I'm a little nervous. So I don't think it's going to be what we want as an industry, but again, we've got a long, lot of work to do with them to eventually get them to take notice that we're trying everything we get, can to get our processors up to GMP compliance and those ISO certifications. It's those kind of movements that they want to see that the group of businesses that is creating products with hemp is almost to the point where they're hooked in with their mainframe. As you know, that's what they do with pharmaceutical companies and that's what they want to see this industry do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're going the uh, the GMP route, and uh, oof, it's uh, it's a doozy. But we see the importance it of it. And how do you know? Let me ask you. Plenty of members ask me, how do you know which ISO certification to get? I believe we need some proper education there, depending on what you're doing with them. Yeah. So confusion it, there. Yeah. So we're right now we're still uh, deciding between three companies, and so we're we're just trying to understand you know what the better option is. Uh, so, but then there's the GMP option. Uh, under, I believe for us as a manufacturer of hemp, it's uh, related to food and supplements. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can get GMP certified for all sorts of different things. Uh, but then ISO is apparently a next step up from right. GMP. So it's so GMP is sort of the ground floor. As hard as it is, which people that have gone through it will tell you that it's one of the hardest things that they've done in their company, depending on where they started, right? Like depending on how organized you are and how much attention to detail you are giving. To but you agree it's products. necessary and moving in that direction. Yes. Yeah. I, I see that. Um, and, and I'll say this, like I, we have a, a small retail store in front of our, our manufacturing facility and uh, we use it just to, of course, um, you know, sell some products and could, but still keep an ear to the ground with consumers and how they're taking it. And nobody, no consumer will say, hey, is your product GMP certified? But I think that there's still a huge level of importance in communicating to them without them even asking, saying, hey, this product here was from a company that was certified by this third party company to say that they're safe to consume. I think that's really important and not a lot of companies can offer that. Uh, but then beyond that, depending on where you are in the hemp um, chain, that if you're selling to other businesses, those other businesses are the ones that are really interested in GMP. And furthermore, if you're considering international expansion, that's like GMP is the bare minimum that you need and ISO and, and so forth. So really important, even though like you're saying, not a lot of people understand that they don't have the education necessarily, but it's, it's coming. The more sophisticated players certainly do. I'll tell you another example I'm looking at just to give you where I'm diving deep into research is how the folks that got fish oil accepted as a supplement mm -hmm. eventually and it ended up on so many grocery store shelves. You know, getting the American Heart Association, others behind them, even though you can turn over a bottle of fish oil and it say, our product helps promote a healthy immune system, our product helps promote a healthy heart, and then under it says, but these statements are not approved by the FDA. Right. But they did engage other organizations to give them credibility to say like, look, this is a safe way to get vitamin E from fish oil. Because the FDA's first question is, what kind of fish are you talking about? So they really, I think, had to go back to the drawing board. And there's examples out there that we should look towards because we do want our products in Publix, in Whole Foods. I want an end cap 
in these grocery stores that says, here's our Southeast Hemp Association members. I want a Spectrum Labs product on there with that stamp, Jason. That is something I really want. I, I think that our product should be out there within reach of the consumer. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I certainly learn you from other industries or, you know, adjacent industries that have done something similar. And fish oil is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe hemp could be the, the next omega-3 oil with the added benefit of cannabinoids. I mean, like that's, that's a twofer right there. There you go. <laughs> um, so do you have any idea how many, I don't know if you've projected this, like how many either hemp uh, business, let's say players in these states or in the region, or maybe how much more you think you might expand the membership because of this move over the next few years? Good question. I think we're going to be really smart about how we grow. And the first thing is to get all our current members grandfathered in because they become founding members of the Southeast Hemp Association. But we really do want to look for those new members that become strategic partners and that a company like yours, Jason, would find another Spectrum-like company in Virginia somewhere or Florida somewhere and realize there's a way to strategically come together and find sustainability. One of the things when I did the member wellness calls is I found out that people did a lot of one-off business, but it wasn't repeat business. So I need to do a better job of possibly finding a backup for that member or finding a new relationship that can become repeat business and then can become a line on their spreadsheet that, hey, we know we're getting revenue from company B because look at how we're growing together. And, you know, I do not think everybody can have their own extract. I don't. I don't think that's the way this is going to play out. But I do think somewhere growers and others that are very skilled can come together and create that brand that has all those things in place that we just discussed and the consumer can believe in it. But what we don't want to happen is before we lose the story, we want to be sure, I think, that everything we do embraces the grower. And so when I say we're going to grow smart as the association, I'm not a hemp grower. Even though I've planted hemp a couple of times in Kentucky and down here in Western North Carolina, but we plan to kind of have a grow arm of this association where growers are working, seasoned growers are working with new growers. Um, I have a lot of new hemp farmers call me and say, Blake, without the state being able to hold their training, which they do a great job with, where do we learn how to plant hemp? So (laughs) now that we cannot physically get together, and as you know, we had events like plant and all these different things last year, It is a problem as we look at a lot of hemp in the barn and then we look at a lot of growers, you know, not knowing exactly what they're doing. So the reason I say all this, I think in growing our association, we're still going to, you know, preach that we need to collaborate Mm -hmm. and we need to come together. And if, if 10 hemp farmers around a small town are doing a great job growing a Bayox strain that's coming in at 14%, then we need to find a company that can buy from all of those farmers. And so these are kind of the the ideas that I have when I look at historically how they co-opt farmers in the tobacco industry and got them real close to the processor. So that distance became less than they traveled with their harvest so the, the farmer grower could make money. 
and go back to you know planting their next crop. So, but it's a challenge, Jason. I think that you look at any new opportunity like a business and say, okay, well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but most importantly, let's recognize the mistakes that were made in the past. And our industry got a little excited last year. A little. <laughs> unbridled enthusiasm is the term I like to use. So it just, it got a little ahead of itself. And so we're, we're, we're having to realign. We're really having to realign and adapt we need to be smarter and going forward we need to be don't need to make the same mistakes yeah. that were made in the past in my opinion and that and that's a we thing in our association we've got a great group of officers a great board chair so it's it's a we type thinking when we talk about how do we grow this association smart so the you're good at many things uh, networking right you're, you're able to relate to people you're able to bring people together uh, you're able to promote an idea really succinctly and really well those are the things that you're good at I wonder if can you expand those uh, skill sets that you have that benefit the association and the members tell me if this is a terrible idea like you can just hang up if this is a bad idea um, <laughs> is it worth exploring different things like uh, private online groups, right? Because you just mentioned face-to-face uh, -face mm -hmm. gatherings right mm -hmm. now, they're you know, very challenging. Um, either closed Facebook groups or you know, like offsite third-party groups or something like that, where Absolutely. you can share you know, somebody from Virginia and somebody in Florida and North Carolina can get together and say, hey, we're working on this extraction. You know, it's gonna be really benefit us. Let's do a little mastermind or something like that. Or somebody, yes. you know, any thoughts about doing something like that? I'll tell you exactly what's in our organizational plan without giving away the farm. Um, every level of membership will have that kind of meeting schedule, as well as we've identified a state liaison in Virginia and South Carolina that we're exchanging for a membership. We are not going to set up state chapters per se in the beginning. What we're gonna do is bring our members together and new members together in these states, in these closed rooms, and find out where everybody is and where everybody needs help. Now, Virginia, for example, has some very aggressive hemp laws on the books. They've already defined CBD as a dietary supplement. So that's a state that we could look towards to say to other states, hey, why, consider something like this that Virginia did since the FDA might take a few years and at least this is something that is in place at the state level. So I think we can start learning from each other too. And the legislators in North Carolina that I've talked to really like this idea because they can start communicating with legislators in different states because everyone is having to deal with him in some way or another at certain levels, whether it's law enforcement. And I think we just want to build a better network. So those ideas that you're talking about with closed groups and private groups, that's really the, the biggest you know, anchor of what we're proposing for the rest of 2020 because we know we're not going to be able to get together physically. So it is really important to us that we find out where everybody is. And, and then, so, you know, you mentioned using a skill set and just analyzing. So here's where our growers are. Here's where our processors are. So what do we need to do to get everybody ready to come out of the gate strong for 2021? And I hate to say it, but, you know, we've lost some members. We've had some members that have had to close their doors. And we've got some growers that aren't planning this year. 
because they lost too much money. But that's the case in every state. So that's another reason that if we can identify research dollars and university research grants to help us diversify on the plant, to look at fiber and biofuels, I say we go for it. And I say we become that balance in the Southeast where we have tobacco and textiles again, that floral grows in different states. And a lot of those will move indoors, in my opinion, as you look for that high, you know, um, or that craft commodity flower that's in high demand. Uh, and then you see a lot of folks, I think, will turn, if we can convince them to stick with this, uh, to grow for fiber. And not specifically for textiles, but for fiber, so we can start to explore some of the things that we can do with hemp. I, I think you, from the moment you met me, Jason, you know I had this thing about hemp being an American story. Mm -hmm. And it is hokey as that sounds, after this is over, hemp is a reason to look from within and look at each other and look at our systems and our supply chain. But most importantly, what about that federal farm bill that was signed? How do we get everybody to get on the same page about that? Because that's what I'm following. But as you know, we've been through a heck of a roller coaster ride getting people to recognize it. So that's another challenge, I think, going forward. But um, we're going to try to do a really, really good job of listening to. And I think that's important um, as the dust settles. It's just listening to one another so you can really evaluate how you can be more effective in helping. Cool. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're already on that path. So if you have questions about Facebook groups and newsletters and automation, like my brain thinks in, in bits and bites. So let me know. Um, I know. I know you're great at that. You do a great job with communication. So um, let's see, just before you have to run off, a couple of just random questions. Um, with, let's say, uh, it's, what is it? We're in August right now of 2020. What are two things? What are some challenges that you see for hemp? Um, business folks right now and what are some opportunities or maybe a different way like what are some things that we should be looking forward to or preparing for for the next six to 12 months I think the biggest challenge for all of this right now is knowing that only 20 states have been approved by the USDA and there is so many people that are worried and upside down that on November the 1st, we're gonna just be cast into a world without any regulations. Growers aren't gonna be covered with licenses. It's a real problem, Jason. I wanna be more effective with the USDA, but there needs to be more communication about what is going to happen. How does a grower all of a sudden become a USDA um, you know, certified hemp grower? But we do need more time for our plan, North Carolina and other states, without being able to physically get together. Our Commissioner of Agriculture, Steve Troxa, with the National Department of Agriculture has pushed for this extra time to run through the end of the interim final rule period next year. So that is, in my opinion, the biggest challenge right now, because that affects genetics from the grower and the processor side that they're currently using in certain states. And it's just, um, it's worrying. I mean, a lot of people are worried and it's worrisome, but the opportunities I think is much what we talked about before is looking across state borders and throughout the bio region and saying, where can we come together? Where can we come together to educate? Where can we come together to help legislate? 
Where can we come together to innovate and diversify on the plant? Where can we take control of the messaging and the education we've talked about for years on social media? So that's the opportunity is realigning our thinking because folks, we're doing the right thing. We know this plant is here for a reason. We need to embrace it and get the rest of the world to embrace it moving forward. Now in Europe and other places, they've embraced it. We just need to do a better job here in our country and having folks support that local farmer grower, support that local company like yours, Jason, that's creating products and it's moving towards that bar where all products are safe and we can be really proud of the industry we've created. So I think it's all about collaboration, no more backstabbing, no more going after each other on social media. That is a waste of time. We need to come together and, you know, just like I said, raise the bar, it's a rising tide. Be nice and help each other out. All right. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, so we'll end it there. I think that was a good bit of content for folks that. Yeah, that's the best uh, I've understand. got, Jason. After no, that, that's, I've got nothing. That's, that's no, you have, you always <laughs> got plenty. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about the association, where should they go? Right now, they can go to ncindhemp.org. So that's ncindhemp.org. This transition, folks, is going to take a few months. We're going to have to wait on our new tax ID number uh, from the IRS, and it's probably going to take a little bit longer knowing everything that's going on in our country right now. But So we'll be doing business as the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association for a few months. But by joining our association, you become an, a founding member of that Southeast Hemp Association, nice. and we're all proud to be part of that. So ncindhemp.org, and you can reach me at Blake at ncindhemp.org. But thanks, Jason, so much, man. I thank really you. appreciate what you're doing. Always thank you very much. I, I'm going to request that we get either real pins as founding members or at least virtual pins. Like, I'm, that's, I think, that's my no, only I request. Think, I think we should get pins, and I think we should get stickers for the front of your retail store. That's right. I, I do. Go. And so when people walk in, they know that you're part of something new, but it's a we thing. And so yeah. I want people to recognize it. Like, oh, yeah, they're one of the Southeast Hip Association. That would make my day. It's part of that American story, right? That's right. That's right. Awesome, Blake. So great to see you again. And then I'll post those links that you mentioned in the show notes and I look forward to seeing you again. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, you're a valuable member of our association too. So I appreciate your support. Thanks so much, Blake. Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.